0: Marvelites, you are listening to Marvel's The Pull for new comics out August 29th, 2018. I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker. And Tucker, summer's nearly gone, brother. Oh, wow. You're right. I love it. I'm so yeah. excited for summer to get the hell away from me. Yeah, I hate the heat.
1: I, I still feel like I have the... um, hate I, it. <laughs> I feel like I have the... Uh, like. I think for my entire life, I'll always just have like back to school jitters that just creep up within me at this time of the year, hmm. where I'm just like nervous but excited to I don't know find out where my locker is. I guess. Um,
0: <laughs> Did you get stuffed in lockers much as a kid? Look, yeah, you're a, you're a tall drink of water.
1: I am the one who stuffs. You-
0: people no. <laughs> upsetting uh big note on this week's episode I'm really honing in on art I don't know maybe it's coming back from the Marvel Universe of Superheroes exhibit in Seattle at MoPOP that we just went to and seeing so much original art on display there but I realized as I was like going through all my notes for the the books this week I was like I almost just talk about the art. Mm-hmm. Like my head was all about art. So yeah. I, that's right, where I'm at.
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you this week. I find myself taking a lot of art notes. Um, there's some great stuff.
0: Yeah. Uh, speaking of great stuff, let's just dive into it with Daredevil annual number one. This one is written by Erica Schultz with art by Marcio Takara and colors by Marcelo Maiolo, with VCs Clayton Cowles on letters. And this is only the second writing project for Marvel from Erica Schultz. The first was writing an original graphic novel for that ABC show, Revenge. Mm. Maybe you've heard of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, She worked on that. Uh, She's also provided art support for some Neil Adams projects and even did some animating of the Astonishing X-Men motion comic, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, she's she's done a ton of stuff in different places and a ton of other writing work in comics but now it's, it's exciting to see uh, as we've talked about before more new voices coming into marvel comics and again annuals like we talked about recently on this week in marvel uh annuals is a great way to find those new voices so here what i dig about this one this is really a neat flashback story about misty knight and like pre-cybernetic arm um really like daredevil's there sure but I like that this is more of a Misty story, mm-hmm. uh, and Misty and her partner so good. I want to see more of them together, more of like what this era was, because I don't think this partner was explored much. I don't. I, I looked to try to do some research, didn't see much of her, but maybe I'm missing uh, some issues. But it was. It's also interesting looking at the way Misty viewed superheroes at this time, and Erica really digs into the way she perceived heroes, what they did to cause that perception. I thought it was, was really neat. But on the flip side, Misty's partner is a single mom raising a kid who, and the kid loves stories about superheroes. And despite everything, superheroes are so important to them. Uh, that was really neat. I mean, <laughs> you know, give me Misty all day long.
1: Yeah. I'm so happy that you mentioned the art right off the bat uh, this week because my first book is Deadpool Assassin number six. And the, you know, dare I say, legend that takes care of our duties on this book. I thought, you know, he always brings it, but it, boy, oh boy, did he really bring it. It's Mark Bagley on pencils with inks by John Dell, Scott Hanna, and Cam Smith. Colors by Edgar Delgado and Rex Locus. And it's written by Cullen Bunn. This is a it's a great, we've spoken about it many times, Cullen Bunn knows how to write Deadpool. Uh, he's one of the most experienced Deadpool writers out there. I love where this story goes in this issue, though, because it feels like it's, it's Deadpool... In a little bit more of a dramatic situation, we get to see how he responds to those kind of things. And it's Deadpool dealing with the supernatural in a really big way and in a really fun way. Uh, There's some really great fight scenes in this. That's what I really wanted to talk about because Mark Bagley is just, he's a guy, he does not skate on reputation. I mean, he brings it. All the time, and wow, Daisy really bring it here. There's uh, just incredible, super dynamic, super—you could just feel the movement, jumping off the page, fight scene in here, and then we take that and light it on fire. And it just becomes even crazier, even bigger, um, and you just feel—you just can feel it on the page and coming off the page, even more so with that. It is really, really awesome stuff. I'm just flipping through here. There's this—there's
0: um, uh, a splash page in there of Threnody, mm-hmm. uh, and you know she, she sort of has this little turn in the, this issue and the last issue, but she's surrounded by death energy, and it's this wonderful splash. It's so badass and looks so intense and like Bagley draws like faces in the flames Mm -hmm. or I I don't know like the death energy they look like flames I don't know it just looks so gnarly
1: yeah it it is I love the tone that this book strikes and the the art matches it completely it's a really cool kind of gothic supernatural story it's gross it's It's gross there's weird
0: demon babies and vampire villains with like barbed rope tongues and they vomit black goo. Yeah.
1: Uh, one of my favorite quotes of the week is, die, 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 you freak. <laughs> <Which> <laughs> Classic <is> like,
0: <laughs> Tuckerism right, That's right there. That's right. It's like it came right out of your mouth. <laughs> uh, next up is Edge of Spidergeddon number two. Written by Lonnie Nadler and Zach Thompson, two of Tucker's good friends. Based on a story by Gerard Way. Pencils and inks by Alberto Albuquerque. Colors by Triona Farrell. And letters by Corey Petit. This issue by Zach and Lonnie. I I love their cable run. And this one features Spider. SP dash dash DR. This girl, Penny Parker, and her robot, this Spider robot, they first appeared in The Edge of Spider-Verse limited series a couple years ago and part of that event Uh, she's just cool she's 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 got a robot she's a little girl with a robot that is the best thing it's basically just a big cool sci-fi mechie anime battle Mm -hmm. comic uh and then you know penny gets pulled into spider get in yeah
1: one of you know the the man himself shows up and pulls her into the portal and by the man i mean the ham uh Moving on to one of your favorite series, Ryan. This is Exiles with issue number seven.
0: Oh, my God. This broke my heart. Oh, yeah. Oh, my uh, God.
1: Solid and Ahmed is the man. He's a monster. He's the heartbreaker. I uh, him. love him. <laughs> him. Hi, Saladin. Uh, this issue has guest art by Rod Reese with Lee Ferguson on Pencils and Eeks for a couple of pages and letters by Joe Caramagna. Um, speaking of alternate universes speaking of a book that takes full advantage of the many realities that exist in the alternate universes in the marvel universe in the multiverse look we open up page one here and we see a character that was introduced right at the end of last issue it's a character that combines some of my favorite things in the world it's wild west black panther are you kidding me it is so cool it works so well you know his first words like it, it's so cool just the the kind of regal quality in the way that T'Challa speaks and it just somehow fits perfectly into like this wild west man in black kind of voice it is just awesome he says my name is T'Challa around these parts they call me king
0: yeah. are you kidding
1: me it is so so cool um like i said i love what Saladin does with this insanely eclectic group of characters in this issue, bringing in T'Challa into the story, bringing in uh, Valkyrie and uh, her story and uh, but her it's struggles. Also,
0: when you're bringing in those characters, he also has other char- like classic exile characters uh, that are showing up here, Morph and Nocturne, who mean so much to to those of us who have read those exile stories and know the journey that those characters went on. There's like this devastating Nocturne story where she fell in love with this other exile and just things that they dealt with. And Morph, poor Morph has been through so much. But there's a lot of moments in here and a lot of heartbreak. I will not get into it for spoiler territory. Also, I got to talk about Rod Reese. Uh, here on the art, his art style in, in this one is really like I was trying to hone in on it. And, like, it clicked for me. It's like a cross between Phil Noto and Bill Sienkiewicz. Uh, and this issue really leans into the more intense and off kilter side of things that Sienkiewicz did in his like New Mutant stuff. That like weird, scratchy, like there's a shot of Charles Xavier and his eyes are bugging out. He's all crazy looking. It's, it's really, really wonderful uh, things that he does here. And the next issue, we know The Watcher's. Colin.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool kind of, you can feel the crescendo building and I'm, I'm really excited to see where that goes.
0: Yeah. Uh, speaking of things building, we've got Extermination number two out this week, written by Ed Brisson with art by Pepe Larraz, colors by Marte Gracia and letters by Joe Sabino. I don't know who said it. I was somewhere in this office and we're looking at the cover of this, which is by Mark Brooks. It's got Ahab on the cover and he's got these Big old thigh high boots on classic, you know, comics wear for, mm-hmm. for a buff dude. Mm-hmm. And they're like, How do those boots stay up? And I was like, He's got the meaty thighs, those things are on super tight, they ain't going nowhere. They're like waders,
1: kind of W W A D E R S. Yes, okay. you know what? Appropriate. Where do you wear waders in the water? Ahab. What's that a reference to? Guy who was captain of a ship. Water. Boom.
0: Nailed it. <laughs> Tucker's on a roll. Uh, but look, it's it's been a week or two since number one. So I don't know how much we want to get into spoiler yeah, territory yeah. for the first issue. I mean, big stuff happened in that first issue. A few deaths. Um, so I'm not going to talk about it too much because i know some of you are way far behind on your reading you read in marvel unlimited whatever it is you want to read all at once i get it so we'll dance around as much as we can but uh number two has the mysterious character who showed up at the end of number one doing some of the the killing and this guy now goes after calvin rankin he uh goes by the codename mimic uh and mimic he's like he has the ability to replicate powers and abilities and like physical attributes even of of people around him and it's not just like super people so like if we're sitting in this room and i was mimic i would have your insane board game skills tucker uh and so like those are things that he would glean from others mm-hmm. but he then did it with the x-men he's old school first appeared early x-men issues in the 60s but tying back to our last book there's a version of mimic from exiles that i love that is like he was like the hero of heroes. He was Captain America level of like amazing throughout a lot of the exiles run that that I really love. So, um Pepe Larraz, Marte Gracia, they just go to town. This is like them just being like step off, we got this, proving how good they are. There's a panel of young Jean in the rain, she's protecting Beast. She looks so fierce. It's it's a cover-worthy panel and it is like an eighth of the page it is so incredible she looks so cool this issue also really like keeps solidifying that this feels like a proper x crossover you've got multiple foes with different agendas you've got tragedy mayhem the school is under attack tragedy multiple (laughs) teams working together all of it it is really rad
1: next up oh boy the next chapter in the impending return of Logan Howlett. It is Hunt for Wolverine: Dead Ends, number one. Does
0: anyone call him Logan Howlett? Is that just you? What? What would? What? What? what, what Most what, people call him Logan. Or those th- who know him call him James Howlett. James Howlett, sure. And you could go like a James, finger quotes Logan, <laughs> Logan Howlett. Howlett. That's a possibility. <laughs>
1: uh, you know what? Henceforth, henceforth, I will forever call him James. Quote Logan, unquote Hallett. Uh, he's the star, but of course, we don't get him quite yet. We are on the path to his return. Uh, and this story, which is written by Charles Soule with art by Ramon Rosanas, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by Josebino, Sabino, this story s- has synthesized the four previous Hunt for Wolverine limited series down. It's collapsed it down into one story. Uh, and I love the tone. That Charles Soule captures here. He was, of course, the showrunner of those four limited series. He worked with Tom Taylor, Mariko Tamaki, Jim Zub to kind of craft this larger tale. And it's really interesting to see the big players of those stories emerge here. And it's for that reason that it's Jamie's pick of the week i am right on board with her on this we see matt murdoch we see tony stark we see kitty pride we see these big players kind of coming out working together trying to unravel this mystery as we move further and further along in the story it's really incredible where we go here and look as with anything return of wolverine it is spoilerific So there's not too much we can say, but we can say that Persephone, the big bad, makes her appearance here. It is really, really cool to see her. I'm really excited to see exactly, kind of get to know her a lot better and to see exactly what her methodologies are and how exactly that big bad super villainy manifests within her. She seems super cool so far. I'm really, really into her as a villain. And uh, look... To wrap it up, from my angle, little hot claws. hot claws. Hot claws. Little hot claws.
0: Little hot claws. Hot
1: claws. And that's not an attractive version of Chris Kringle, no sir. <laughs> that's
0: <laughs> that. Although I've seen that before. <laughs> uh, we also uh, we do have some of the designs for Persephone mm-hmm. on Marvel.com. I remember looking at those. They were by Mike Hawthorne. Freaking awesome. Yeah, like really cool. The way she looks, I imagine people are gonna cosplay as her because it's an outfit you can 100% do and actually wear, like function in, mm-hmm. uh, but it looks amazing. Ramon Rosanas's art, so clean and crisp, uh, like these strong lines and incredibly emotive faces. One of my favorite panels of the week is a montage panel of what Daredevil has learned about Wolverine's actions. And this is all in his mind, what we're seeing, but it's Logan killing and destroying and raging. And then there's this like green-gray hue over it. It's super creepy, really nasty. It's a really uh, wonderful and very striking way to make those Panels stand out. Uh, just, I thought that was terrific. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of terrific, one of my picks of the week is Jessica Jones number two. This is one of our Marvel digital original books, written by Kelly Thompson, art by Mattia De Iulis, and letters by Corey Petit. With ugh, dope cover by Martin Simmons. Now, this is chapters three and four of the story, and I just gotta. I'm talking just to Kelly right now, dear. Kelly Thompson, please also now write an Elsa Bloodstone series mm-hmm. just for me. You could literally just write the script for me. Maybe <laughs> do a, give me a, an outline, whatever you want. Just for my own personal <laughs> knowledge. Cause man, Kelly writes a hell of an Elsa. So fun. You know, one of the books I, I talk about a lot is next wave. Cause it's a great book. And, uh, Elsa has such a great role in that. And she's like foul mouth and intense and wonderful. And it's very much like that style of Elsa. There's a great little thing that's done in the lettering where every time she curses, it's not just like random symbols or whatever. Mm -hmm. It is four little skull and bones. (laughs) Just so good. Yeah, I love it so much. But yeah, one of my favorite panels of the week is in the midst of jessica and elsa they're fighting sea monsters on the shores of the hudson river in new york city and they're they're talking about whether someone they both know is a monster and elsa says quote depends on your point of view i suppose we're all monsters aren't we whoa but it would sound more like this depends on your point of view i suppose (laughs) we're all monsters aren't we whoa did you just pick my pocket? (laughs) wow Where'd my wallet go? <laughs> <laughs> Do I sound like a Victorian-era yeah. yes. pickpocket boy? Yeah, yeah. Perfect. That's exactly what I was going for. And she says this, while midair, having kicked the heads off of two monsters, bodies falling, green blood trailing behind her legs, it is simultaneously one of the prettiest and grossest panels in recent memory. It's stunning. And the people that Jessica is trying to help, they're racked with guilt and fear. The bad dude is, is a horrible dude. Jessica, on a case dealing with death and powers and mysteries, it is so rad. And all of the art is just drop-dead gorgeous. Matias' art has some vibes of Olivier Coypel and Dave Marquez, but it's just all its own. Hell of a good issue. Also a great issue this week is Marvel 2-in-1, number nine. And uh, this one is titled Being Fantastic. Written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Ramon K. Perez, colors by Federico Blee, and VCs Joe Caramagna on letters. This one is among my favorite issues of the run, I think. Mm-hmm. You've got The Mad Thinker, who he's got his own twisted take on uh, this fake Fantastic Four team, which is so good. And, and the Mad Thinker, he's like this you know, scheming, sniveling villain. But here is like trying to take over the mantle of Fantastic Four. And it's so desperate and sad, but so well done. I I loved it. Uh, You have Ben and Johnny. They're being awesome heroes in the face of danger. Then you've got the classic Ben Grimm thingisms and and dialogue. It's so fun. There's Ben talking about having fun fighting new supervillains and enjoying as they figure out their own banter and their own strength. It's Just a fun little touch to the story. And it's got an excellent last page that had me going...
1: Yeah. I mean, the big question that I've seen Chip Dodge answering in the most artful of ways on social media and things like that is what happens with two on one once the Fantastic Four series gets going. And once that all happens, because, you know, we know that Ben and Johnny are, you know, going to be involved there. What's going to happen? And uh, it's we're starting to get little tiny tastes of it. And it's going to be really, really interesting to see how that continues moving forward. Get ready, though for some weird, wild, twisted, neon disturbing action. Mm. Yeah. Oh, oh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you see what book I'm talking about. It's Moon Knight number 198. It's written by the just strange and incredible mind of Max Bemis with pencils by Jason Burroughs, inks by Guillermo Ortego, and colors by Matt Milla with letters by Cory Petit. I also want to give a quick little shout out to Becky Cloonan, um, one of my favorite creators around with a really cool black and white cover of Moon Knight. Really, really awesome and kind of gets to the labyrinthic mind of Mark Spector. So what's going down here is Mark is on a journey. He is hunting this, we'll just call him a very bad guy. And he's ended up at the, let me do my best uh, French here, the Société des Sadique. Yes, that's right. Uh, basically, what you need to know is it's uh, like a secret group of like twisted, weird, bad, powerful, rich people who have a, like a, a feast where they induct new, other bad, it's like powerful it's people. It's really what what I love so much about any Moon Knight book, and what I love about Max Bemis's take on the character is that no matter what's going on, you're never really sure of your footing. You don't know if you can really trust the narrator. You don't know if you can trust your lead character because of his many personalities, his many minds, the weird reality that this is set in, and all the different ways that that manifests. I'm a big fan of Moon Knight, and I think this is a really, really great issue. It continues to explore this this strange corner of the Marvel Universe, and I will just say there is a
0: cool
1: ending to this issue.
0: Interesting. Uh, this also has uh, inclusion of Morpheus, an old Moon Knight villain who does stuff with dreams and the mind and kind of looks like Nosferatu. Uh, next up is Ms. Marvel number 33 and by G. Willow Wilson, art by Nico Leon, colors by Ian Herring, letters by Joe Caramagna. And I just love that the shocker, he simply wants to be a bigger fish in a smaller pot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he just, instead of going to like, I don't know, Idaho or <laughs> Iowa... Or Indiana. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, yeah. He just crosses the river to Jersey City. Yeah. It's like, it's not that far. Someone could <laughs> easily zip over from New York City to stop you if they yeah. needed to. But thankfully, Jersey City has Ms. Marvel and he thinks he's getting through her very easily. But no, uh, he's like, he's like. Please be my arch nemesis. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, it leads to one of my favorite lines of the week from Ms. Marvel. says, quote, I don't need an arch nemesis. I've got real life problems. I just thought that was like, yeah, yeah. you don't need his shenanigans.
1: Get it's, away from him. It's kind of a mission statement of the character as a whole, which is what's always so great. It's, we get so much joy of seeing Kamala as we do seeing Ms. Marvel. Uh, another great story on the way this week is in the form of the new mutants, Dead Souls. This is issue number six. It's written by Dialogue, Dr. Dialogue. That's it. I landed it. Matthew Rosenberg with art by Adam Gorham, colors by Michael Garland, and letters by Clayton Cowles. I also want to really sh- quickly shout out the cover, which was done by Ryan Stegman, J.P. Meyer, and Michael Garland. Ryan Stegman, where are you getting the time, dude? How are you doing it? I have no idea. Main artist on the Venom series where he's doing insane stuff. Still so, manages to do this.
0: He's always working out, getting super buff <laughs> and, and, and wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, he's giving wow. motivational speeches because he's Ryan Stegman. You know? uh,
1: there's a little bit of dialogue that's happening here. Can you break this down a little bit for us as we get into the, sh- there's the Shatterstar is not wearing clothes? Yeah. And- so
0: Shadowstar and Richter have been sort of on and off in a relationship for mm-hmm. a couple of years. You know, they're hanging out. They'd, they've they been dealing with mission stuff. Uh, Richter was part of the team that was doing this mission with Eliana, a strong guy, a.k.a. Guido Caracella. He is not there. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody's looking for him. Mm-hmm. And Richter's like, I don't know, he's off vacation or something. Yeah. Where in <laughs> actuality, he was thrown into limbo. Right, uh, But he's Just, you know, hanging out, eating his pancakes. And behind him, Shatterstar, happy as a clam. He's wearing an apron and nothing else. And it is terrific. Also, probably unsanitary. Yeah. But I don't care. Hey, he's got
1: an apron on. He's got an apron on. This is one of my favorite little exchanges of the week. Uh, It goes, where's Guido? And Richard says, vacation? And then it's responded, I know you're all covering for Ileana. I don't know what you're up to, but when I find out, and tell Shatterstar to put some damn clothes on. And then he just says, no.
0: Yeah. <laughs> he ain't going to do that. Yeah.
1: You don't tell Shatterstar to put clothes on. Um, what I loved most about this issue, though, is you can see and you can really feel how much Matt Rosenberg loves magic. Um, because there's some really great stuff uh, where you see her kind of at her best and uh, fully in the fight, sword charged up. Uh, it's really, really cool. And uh, you know, I, what I love so much about Matt's New Mutants and really about his work as a whole is he gets those great, awesome action scenes in, but he never loses the heart. You can always feel these characters at the heart of these stories. And with this one in particular, you can really feel Ileana Rasputin.
0: Yeah, I, I actually had a very similar note. I said this series and definitely this issue really makes me want to see what more Matt can do specifically with Ileana. Uh, He gets her voice so well. Uh, And she's seen some stuff, you guys. Mm -hmm. Like, if you think about it, she went from being an innocent little kid to a magical demon warrior queen of limbo. She's fiercely loyal, wildly powerful, no time for BS. Man, she's so good. And her interactions that that he writes are so intense yet fun. And I will say the last page of this book, the ending, has me shooketh, Mm. as the kids say. (laughs) Oh, baby. (laughs) Next up is Runaways number 12 and it is my second pick of the week. It is so good. I love this damn comic. It is written by Rainbow Rowell, art by Chris Enka, and colors by Matthew Wilson, letters by Joe Caramagna. And man, this book has smooching, time travel, amazing fashions, smooching, butterflies, incredible facial expressions, tears, mind-bogglingly incredible art, Oh, I would like to award Chris and Matt the Nobel Peace Prize for their art here. Wow. I think they earned it. Everybody, uh, (laughs) uh, they did a great job. Uh, It's so good. The first page here is a flashback. And the art team actually does a really subtle thing by it makes the art look like older runaway stuff, specifically when Takeshi Miyazawa was drawing the book. Uh, Like I was looking at the faces and they're different from... The faces that we see now, the things, the, the way Chris draws them, they're a little bit more like Takeshi's. And I thought it was such a, a special thing to put in the book. It was so neat. And then literally every face in this book is is special. Like they're all drawn with such care and precision. You've got excited chase Gert explaining her hope to see butterflies. She has this look on her face, like, sort of scrunched up a little bit, sort of like, Ugh, this is kind of why I want to do it. <laughs> you can, like, hear her. All the the smiles and the frowns and the shared glances. Even the minimalism is so terrific. You've got uh, this, this shot of Nico sitting at a table at, at a charity ball, and she's got just a simple face of her smiling, and it's like two lines for her eyes, one line for her mouth. But you... Get exactly what you want. She's so tiny in the page, but it says so much. And on the flip side, there's another one where she's just a blank face. Like, there's no detail. But in the context of where she is, she's standing next to another character. I'm not giving anything away. She's standing next to another character, surrounded by other people. You get that sense of her just, like, sort of not wanting to be there that it just works so damn well. I want to go on and on and on about the art but there's also Rainbow story this run for me is the strongest I think any of the characters have been written Gert's feelings of being lost Victor's guilt, Chase's clueless optimism Nico and Carolina and all that God I wish this issue was double sized I love it so so much
1: and an incredible cover by Chris Anka and I want to shout that up because on our next book there's also another incredible cover and hey look it's Rod Reese again He's doing the cover for Poe Dameron, annual number two. It's great to see Rod Reiss. I feel like I'm a huge fan of his and, um, you know, I, I love to see him. Uh, so it's cool to see him twice this week. But this issue is written by Jody Hauser with art by Andrea Bricardo with colors by Stefano Renee and letters by Joe Caramagna. Um, I was not ready for what comes in this issue Outside of the Force Awakens adaptation, I believe is the first appearance of older Han Solo in comics. It was certainly not a sight I was anticipating. It wasn't a story that I was uh, getting ready to see told in a Poe Dameron annual. But trust me, it is so much more than that. It is a bunch of kind of weird and wild, like, Awesome 90s-ish Star Wars stuff that I've always loved so much. There's plenty of that in here. Great, really cool ship designs that kind of we haven't seen uh, the likes of which before, uh, even in Star Wars comics, which is really, really awesome. Really specifically, we get to see Han in action. We see Han and Leia. We see post Return of the Jedi pre-Force Awakens Han, which is really cool. Let me just say, Han had a beard at a certain point, and it's awesome. I noticed the the, beard as well. Yes. uh, it, It adds up to be something really, really emotional because it just pulls in these different moments from Star Wars history, these different moments that mean so much to uh, Star Wars fans. And it just incorporates them so seamlessly into this larger Poe Dameron story, which is definitively, at the end of the day, definitely a Poe Dameron and great Black Squadron action story. Uh, but of course it is. Of course it's done so seamlessly because Jody Hauser not only does she know comics so well, but she knows Star Wars so well. She's written Star Wars comics before. She's done it brilliantly. Uh, and she
0: does more of that here. She's like a go-to now for Star yeah, Wars, which yeah. I think is, is great. Next is also the Star War. And we've got Star Wars Lando, double or nothing, number four. Man, so much swagger. Mm-hmm. Lando's got it in it's so cool. It is written by Rodney Barnes, art by Paolo Villanelli. And Colors by Andre Desmosa with VCs Joe Caramagna on the letters. It is, uh, it's cool watching Rodney hit all the big ego beats for Lando. His appearance, his leadership skills, his charm, his piloting, and most of it is well-earned. But thankfully, you have, like, the flip side of it, L3, she's there to balance the scales. Their relationship is really the driving hook for me in this book. It is so fun, a little bit flirty, a bit contentious, but it's so spot-on for, you know, what we've seen in the film and now what we think about for this character really, really hits it very well.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. What was really cool for me in this issue in particular was to see the seeds of leader Lando, of Lando, the leader of community and society and things like that we see his impulses to to be that and Rodney does it so
0: well. Next up is Venom first host number one of a5. Yo, Mark Bagley does double duty this week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like that's pretty normal for a writer, but Mark is an artist and a very good one and holy hell how is he mortal? How does he do two books full pencils both books? I don't get it. He's a magician. Give it- him Another Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> oh. Everybody's getting them. Hand them out. Yeah. You get one. You get, yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: it's, you know, he can do these characters unlike anyone else. And boy, does he deliver.
0: Yeah. And it's written by Mike Costa. Uh, again, of course, Mark on pencils with Andrew Hennessy on inks. Colors by Dono Sanchez Almara, and letters by Clayton Cowles. This is, man, Mark's work on Venom is so tight and packed with detail, but full of action and intensity. He did tons of Venom work in the 90s, so this fits him perfectly. A legend he is, as we've already said. I like that this book also ties into the pre-Donnie and Ryan Venom series that Mike Costa was writing. Like, there are those pieces that we didn't fully finish with, and now we get to see some of those. It also, though, dips into the myths and the origins that were playing out across all the Venom stuff lately. And it's tied into the kree Scroll War, which is super neat. If you have been reading Venom at any point recently, this is definitely a book to get. And plus, there's a naked Cree dude, and he looks buff.
1: <laughs> uh, there is some intense, incredible stuff going on elsewhere with Venom in Web of Venom. Venom, and it is my pick of the week. It's written... Of course, by Donny Cates, with art by Juanon Ramirez, colors by Felipe Sobrero, and
0: letters by Clayton Cowles. Can I say one thing real quick? Yes. Uh, it is not a prerequisite to read this book, but if you want more of the context about Rex Strickland, the Grendel, and the things we've learned about the symbiotes, you really should read up on the regular Venom series that is going on right now. It's, knowing those issues makes this so much richer.
1: Yeah, Continue. I, I completely agree. And what's really cool from a kind of greater perspective, from what we've seen so far in Donnie's run on Venom, the main series, and certainly with this issue is... We see Donnie putting his spin on Marvel history in a really, really big way, whether that is uh, in a very definitive sense, which is what we've seen so far in Venom or in something like this, where it's kind of telling a new story. It's telling a story in a different way uh, to see those things combined, to see him take on characters like Nick Fury, like a James, quote, Logan, quote. Howlet.
0: I know who you're talking about now. <laughs> that makes sense.
1: Uh, is really, really awesome. But To see not only Donnie take on Marvel history in this way, but to see him take on a war story in this way is really, really cool. Because there are such specific images and such specific kind of methods of telling a story that come along with this greater genre, the war story. And to see those all marry together, these classic characters, the genre, Venom, the new history that's being built in. The old history that's always been there—it's so cool. Uh, yeah, like you said, if you're loving Donnie's Venom series, and I know many, 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 many people are, then this is a must.
0: Yeah, uh, th- this reminded me of like flashback stories we get in the '90s. Mm-hmm. This could just have easily have been like a Wolverine book where you got a story about Wolverine and Nick Fury in Vietnam in the '60s, and then you tie that to Venom. It works on a bunch of different levels, and I loved it. And then there's something about the art where it's got, like, slightly muted coloring and this interesting texture on it that really pushes that 60s vibe. I dug the crap out of it. Another book I'm digging the crap out of is X-23, issue number three out this week. Written by Mariko Tamaki with art by Juan Cabal and colors by Nolan Woodard with letters by Corey Petit. This book is stressing me out. I'm just putting that out there. I am very invested in Laura and Gabby. And oh boy, things here get pretty hairy. Juan Cabal's art with Nolan Woodard's colors, it continues to destroy me. It is... So good. The final splash page of Laura leaping is so fierce. But then you've got pages of Laura jumping across speeding cars, and it's so well-paced and choreographed. It's stunning. There's one panel, one panel, where Laura pops the claws, and the whole background behind her claws goes snicked in red, and it is it is very affecting. It is very, like, psh, hits you in the face. It's so well done. And there's another page that's broken down into over 30 panels to really, like, show... The vibe of interior anatomy—it is incredible. Read
1: this book. There is there are a few panels, specifically the leaping on top of cars and this tunnel thing. It just felt so cinematic, so good. Wonka Ball's art is insane. For me, he's one of—he's becoming like one of the definitive Laura Kenny artists. And uh, yeah, I was just blown away. Elsewhere. In the X-verse is X-Men Blue, number 34. It's written by Colin Bunn, with art by Marcus Toe, colors by Matt Mila, and letters by Joe Caramagna. This is Surviving the Experience, part two! Uh, And it involves a big bad that is my favorite. It's Mr. Magneto. We're getting to see kind of a, it's another really fascinating take on the kind of timey-wimey X-Men story. And that's something that I've always been a huge fan of. This, of course, because it deals with Magneto. We get to see a vision of the future that is very much kind of the dynamics and the the way that it's been realized is more and more Magneto than we've seen many times before. It is fascinating to see the blue team reckon with in that way because of not just Magneto and his, you know, famous kind of harsh uh, for the greater good view of things for mutant kind, but in the way that it all ends up 20 or so years into the future. And I feel like the, again, I love the kind of dark storytelling that it all is realized in. I felt like that was the case in a few of the books this week. I'm thinking specifically Extermination, where it's just kind of like this nighttime tale and that just adds to this tone. There is some exploration going on. The team is learning more and more about what's happening. uh, And then the action begins. And uh, it's always a delight to see uh, this great mutant versus mutant dynamic because you know it is it's an endless well of just incredible character studies and uh kind of study of the greater x-men society and the greater mutant society
0: yeah yeah all that stuff you said great job uh last book of the week is x-men grand design second genesis number two this book is so great written drawn lettered colored produced everything by Ed Piscor. Always give a shout out to Chris Robinson, mm-hmm. uh, who's instrumental in all this too. But Ed Piscor, man, he is the bee's knees. His art is wicked detailed. Oh my God, he packs so much into everything. And he's hitting on so much history. That's the thing that just drives me nuts. He's got like 40 issues worth. So four years of comics, four or five years of, of comics themselves, but That pulls in from different periods because some of those some of the books that go into telling this time period came out 10, 20 years later that filled in gaps and he's got to put them all together into this big sandwich and it has to be condensed so tightly Uh, yet he nails it. One of my favorite bits is the page about Kitty surviving against this space monster, the Nagari, this this creature. It's from Uncanny X-Men number 143, and it was actually one of the first classic X-Men comics I read as a kid. When I read, this book was, I don't know, 10 years old at this point. I got Mm -hmm. it really cheap at a a used bookstore near the laundromat where I went with my mom as a kid. And my favorite part is there's a panel of how Kitty takes out the monster. And in the story, like, this monster's tearing through the house, terrifying her. Uh, It is is really, like, nerve-wracking, the whole thing. Kitty, like... I think she gets slashed by it at one point. And even though she's phased, she kind of feels it. It's horrifying. But you get to this this point where the where Kitty is. She's alone in the jet in their hangar, and the 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 monster has been tracking her, and it's behind the jet. and She turns on the engines and fries it. And it's like last second way to to take care of it. But in this, you see that the left. And the bottom left panel borders are done so it looks like they're getting blasted away by the fire as well. And it's just so cool. It's one of those little touches, like something that takes up three inches of space, if that And he put all that care into it. It's so brilliant. And one of the many things I love about this book that it's told from the perspective of the Watcher. So it does not get into everything. There are some things that his gaze doesn't hit on. It actually solidifies the narrative for me. And as always with this book, there is a robust additional reading section in the back that gives all the reference points and how everything fits together. It just shows how deep this book is and how much research Ed does to put it all together. it's a miracle of modern comics,
1: yeah, it's mind blowing. I, I will say whenever I have an extra comic or whenever I bring and 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 give a comic to my brother who is a huge comics fan, this is one uh one series that I always always am like, you need to read this right now. Yeah. the the level of craft that's going on from every angle is insane. And knowing that it's one guy that's doing it all just makes just you just savor every single panel.
0: Heck, yeah. All right, so that covers the new comics out this week. Uh, a note on the Jessica Jones issue. That is a Marvel Digital only exclusive reminder that you get it digitally. Marvel mm-hmm. Comics app or Comicsology.
1: Collections on sale this week include Amazing Spider-Man Epic Collection Venom, Captain America by Mark Waid, Promised Land, Deadpool World's Greatest Volume 5 in hardcover, Deadpool by Posehn and Duggan, The Complete Collection Volume 4, Fantastic Four by John Byrne, Omnibus Volume 1 in hardcover, Fantastic Four, Behold Galactus in hardcover, New Warriors Darkness and Light, and Superior Spider-Man The Complete Collection Volume 2.
0: Some real good stuff in there. On the Marvel app this week, uh, some of the issues that go into some of those collections as well as U.S. Agent 1 through 4. U.S. Agent, s- scary dude. In, in, <laughs> you know, sort of like a an American-y costume. He's a dangerous brother. Uh, definitely check him out. Uh, digital collections on sale this week. The books that we talked about as well as there's a cool uh, Scourge story, the Captain America Scourge of the Underworld collection, which is out digitally. and it was, It's a neat story from the 80s about this, you know, vigilante who was killing really low-level villains it ran for a really long time. And let's see. <clears throat> On Marvel Unlimited, we're now starting to get into Damnation. That's hitting Marvel mm. Unlimited. Remember that? Oh, That's yeah. a real good story. Yeah, some more Rod Reese Yeah, I like the heck out of that one. That was real good. Uh, you get some old-school 70s amazing adventures, a couple of Venom Limited series, The Hunger and The Hunted from the 90s, and then some New Warriors from the 90s. It's cool. We're filling in some weird gaps, and I am here for it. Love comic books, Tucker. <laughs> I
1: don't know about you. I, there's also, I want to say there's Mighty Thor 704, which I recall being one of the favorite issues in months, maybe years uh, on this podcast and others. An incredible kind of beginning of the end of the Mm. jason aaron russell Dodderman matt wilson run on that landmark series read that one too
0: yeah read them all hope you're subscribed to marvel unlimited and uh that's going to wrap it up for this episode we'll be back with another episode next week i'm ryan i'm tucker
1: this is marvel your universe